Hello. Welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe. That's Julie. And we'll have a kind of a, a wild, different sort of episode for you today. You may be able to hear all the rain around <laughs> it us. It might be wilder than we expect, <laughs> yeah. Um, this These past two weeks, we have not read very much, and I don't really know why that is, but it's just one of those weeks that it's turned out that way. I've got a lot of stuff that's still in the hopper. Yeah. If I if I did an episode on the books I was reading, it could be really interesting, but the ones I've finished are much fewer in number. Yeah, same. For me, for the past two weeks, um, I finished The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab, um, which was not... I don't even know really exactly how to describe this. If you've heard of it, you probably know the premise. Um, Addie LaRue um, lives in France 300 years ago. She makes a Faustian bargain for her soul. Why is that funny? (laughs) I just expect to hear something much more normal. You've probably heard about this. I'm like, okay, this will be normal. No, I mean, like, (laughs) I've heard so many people say this is one of their top books of last year, that they just loved this book, so I I really wanted to read it. Maybe they made Faustian bargains, and that was (laughs) part of the deal. Maybe it was. But anyway, she um, makes this bargain for her soul. She will relinquish her soul when she is tired of it. She is basically immortal, but she... No, she can't leave any mark. Nobody remembers her. And so the things that I found, when I got started with this book, I talked to you a couple of times about how I really wasn't sure that this book was for me. The writing was beautiful, but I just, I had some issues with characterization and some of the way that things played out in here. It was kind of, kind of frustrating to me, but ultimately I ended up liking it because um, of how beautiful the writing was. Like V.E. Schwab, she or he, I don't even know, anyway, gorgeous writer, absolutely beautiful. Um, But also because one of the things that this book focused on was all the different ways that we try to leave a mark on the world and and how it matters to human beings to be remembered by somebody for something that we feel is positive. So all of the ways that she attempted to and the ways that she was successful in getting around her bargain to leave some kind of mark, some kind of impact, on those 300 years that this book covers that she lived. And I found that just to be really, really interesting. Isn't it kind of a cool thing, though, when, when like, the explicit rules of life are laid out? I mean, that's one of the things I love in Mm -hmm. 11-22-63. You know, the guy knows what it is that he's going against, and in the face of it, he has to figure out how he essentially circumvents the rules, which... Mm -hmm. I guess maybe it's really what we all do in life anyway. I mean, the, the rules are pretty simple. You're born and you're going to die. And, and in the meanwhile, you get around that as well as you can. I suppose that's it. But, but it's kind of fun when there's a, a, you know, a different supernatural kind of conceit to it where you can kind of monkey with the rules and, and, and see what that changes, I guess. Yeah, um, it was definitely, it wasn't really exactly what I expected. It definitely wasn't my typical kind of book, but I ended up not being sorry that I read it, so... All right, you're up. Counts for something. Probably the the book that I finished probably was my my typical kind of book. Uh, it's actually the first volume of of a two volume set. I'd, I'd done the uh, second one previously, but I got the first one for Christmas. And skipping reels of rhyme, a guide to rare and unreleased Bob Dylan recordings by John Howells. Um, John was one of the first people to do internet stuff about Bob Dylan. And that's good and bad in this case. It's good because he puts together this book, which is kind of a chronicle of all of Dylan's unreleased recordings up through 1975. 
Uh, it's bad because he put most of this on his website way back when, to the extent that the book actually includes about 75 pages that are just comments taken from his website. Oh just literally like pasted in there. I mean, somebody's like, saw Dylan in Chicago last Thursday. And I looked it up and it was a show in 1997. Wow. So I, that, that particular part, I didn't really get. I enjoyed John's commentary uh, back in the late 90s when I found it. I enjoy it now. It's it's a little harder because Dylan has done the thing that I would do in like a New York minute if I was a recording artist where it's like, oh, people want all your old bootleg stuff. And he's like, great, put it out. 20 CD set, $400. Yeah. And you've got the random Dylan Nutters who I can't speak too ill of since I'm one of them who are like, oh, oh, I want to get it. Grab that one. Uh, so a lot of the stuff that John talks about when he talked about it, you know, very few people had heard it. But, you know, this has gone from a thing where, like, when he wrote all this stuff in the 90s, the vast, vast majority of this either was stuff that some people had heard but not everybody had heard or some of it stuff that nobody's heard. Now, more stuff had even come out that he didn't even know about. And a lot of the stuff that was, like, vague mysteries uh, now is actually officially released. So it's interesting from that standpoint. Um, the, the, the 75 pages of comments from the website still just totally buffaloes me. <laughs> I probably liked the second volume better, but if you love old Bob Dylan bootlegs, well, first, I'm sorry, uh, and, and I'll send you a hug. Uh, there it is, uh, but <laughs> because I'm, I'm your soul brother, but at the same time, what's wrong with us? Uh, but, but, you know, a fun read. It's not going to change your life, but um, uh, an interesting snapshot of, of time for the Internet in the 90s and, and for Bob Dylan nutters like me. You know, I think maybe that is actually what our deal was for these past two weeks. Both of us bring a book that we're like, this didn't change our lives. So it, it may be that we didn't read more because we were not reading things that were just amazing like we thought they would be. I don't know. The other stuff I've been working on is pretty amazing. This next episode, uh, I, I feel like unless I really just don't do any reading, which I, I'm not going to let myself do, that uh, that I'm going to have some really good stuff to talk about. There's some great stuff in the hopper. Well, I love the two that I'm in the middle of, but also this has been one of the busiest weeks that I can remember having. So Well, and coming off of an ice storm and, and all kinds of good stuff. Anyway, no more excuses. Let's move on to... My special guest, who I will chat with now. So a first-time podcast guest here, no doubt a future regular. Uh, our son, Ryan, is on, and you read a book, and then I read it too because you were really uh, happy with it, really recommended it. Tell, tell folks what we're reading and talking about. We're reading Hip Hop, A Short History by Rosa Waters. Well, and, and I guess just give anybody who's interested kind of a uh, quick idea of what the book's about, what, what is in here. It's a, about, mostly it was written in 2008, so it's really mostly about the roots of hip-hop all up into early, early 2000s and late 890s rap, and it's very educational if you want to learn more about rap. The thing that Dad liked about it was that he liked how they mentioned a lot of global rap. Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to get into. It was a cool thing. I knew, obviously, you know, you grow up in America, you can't uh, miss the, the rap stuff, but I didn't know about all these international acts who uh, 
you know, there, there are big political things in other countries. There are, you know, hip-hop scenes in Turkey and New Zealand, I mean, all kinds of stuff that I had no idea about. So. I mean, you know US3 because of their Cantaloupe Flip Fantasia song, but mm-hmm. other than that, I mean, I've heard of MC Solar once or twice before, but other than that, yeah, I didn't know about these guys. I mean, I knew that it was a thing, but I didn't really know that it was that big of a thing. So how did you get interested in hip-hop and rap? One time we were in the car and you played me Double Dutch Bus by Frankie Smith. <laughs> yeah, I had it as a kid. And you, you probably remember my story. It came in a big yellow sleeve. And on the front, yeah, it's Double Dutch Bus. And he's holding the jump rope. But it, it was, a, you know, the picture's kind of funny. And I couldn't see it right. And for some reason, in, my hand, in, in his hand, it didn't look like a jump rope to me. I thought he was holding a whip. And I'm like, why is this guy taking the picture of the cover with, with a whip? What does that have to do and with it? And then one day, Natalie was like, hey, wouldn't it make more sense if that was a jump rope? <laughs> We're like, hey, yeah, that does make sense. Lo and behold, it, it was a uh, jump rope. But, yeah, that was one of the, the really early uh, rap hits. But you like a lot of the early stuff, right? Yes. I like the early like 70s, 80s, 90s stuff, just because really 90s, uh, but 80s was really just a bunch of fun stuff. It was before they started to get into dirty stuff and all all that. I mean, late 80s, I mean, in 1989, N.W.A. produced the first gangster rap album, but that was only one year, so there's not too much 80s rap that's that dirty, so... I really like the 80s hip-hop. Okay, okay. Well, uh, would you recommend this book? You think it's a good book for people who want to learn more about the history of, of hip-hop? It is. Uh, it's not one of those books where it's like, there's hip-hop. It was born in 1973. DJ Cool Herc was a DJ. A NWA was an important rap group so is run dmc the end no there's a lot of, you know it's only the main part is 50 50 some odd pages but they packed a lot of info into 50 some pages uh and 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 covered a lot of history from the beginnings up to to kanye and p diddy and people like that so for 2008 they were doing pretty well yeah. Uh, what What would you like to see if Rosa Waters uh, went back and updated this book? Because it is, you know, at, at 13 years old, that's that's a big chunk of uh, the life of rap right there. I'd probably like to learn more about 80s and 90s rap because I'm just not big on all of the new rap because, I mean, it's not as clean as 80s and 90s rap used to be. Well, some of it, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And we were talking earlier about other rap books you liked. What's what's something else that you could recommend? Uh, Dr. Dre by Hal Markovitz. Okay. It was a biography of Dr. Dre that you liked. And I read Shea Serrano's uh, rap, I don't remember, did he call it the rap book, the rap yearbook? The rap yearbook, yeah. Yeah, which, which you were not allowed to read. But <laughs> it was yeah. very funny to me because I, I really like the, the older stuff, but the newer stuff, man, I don't even know who these <laughs> guys are. I... Of course, it was about the time that I got out of college that I lose touch with it. So I don't know if you you find the next uh, the next Curtis Blow out there. You better let me know about it, okay? I will. All right. Well, thank you, Ryan. All right. So now the more normal uh, joint book conversation that we do, and Julie, you can uh, dive in and talk about our our shared book since I made you read it. <laughs> the book that we read together 
for these two weeks, and this is another thing that I actually did finish over these two weeks, is In Their Lives, Great Writers on Great Beatles Songs. It's an anthology edited, edited by Andrew Blauner. And so it is exactly what it says it is. It is a collection of authors, many of whom you would have heard of, who um, write and they each choose a Beatles song, and then they write an essay, whatever they want to say, about that Beatles song. Before we go into talking about this book too much, let's talk about why why this idea would have appealed to us. Joe, you want to talk about your relationship with the Beatles over your life? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I was definitely a kid who dove deep into the things that he was interested in, and, and the Beatles were certainly one of those. I mean, I was probably the, the bane of my parents' existence was my relationship <laughs> with the Beatles because I just, you know, I wanted to, to gobble it all up. I wanted to have every record. I wanted to, to get books. I definitely distinctly remember the first Beatles bootleg tape I ever heard, thanks to my friend Jerry, who sent it to me. Uh, you know, I mean, it was just glorious and revelatory, but uh, I'll try not to fanboy too much on it but no I despite the fact that we're much too young to have any real memory of the the Beatles I mean I was a baby when John Lennon was killed um you know just they were the musical underpinning of everything for me uh, I think I liked Weird Al Yankovic first and then the Beatles but <laughs> but uh the Beatles really influenced everything that came after and just you know, they, they were the cultural phenomenon by which I judged all other cultural phenomena. And, you know, it, it, it ebbs and changes. I don't love the Beatles today the way I did, thankfully, when I was <laughs> a little kid. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those bedrock things, musically, culturally, that's always there. It's always been a part of my life, really, back to when I was five or six and discovered it. And, in some level, some form, I think probably will be as long as I'm here. And I was very different in that I have never been a person who had the same kind of relationship to music that you do. In fact, to this day, I can never remember what the name of a song that I liked was or who the artist was. So while I knew Beatles songs, I really didn't know to relate them to the Beatles. It's kind of embarrassing. So I think that I became a big Beatles fan as you taught our kids to be Beatles fans, because I think that's where I learned most of what I know about the Beatles. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, it's one of those things. There is a just absolute smorgasbord of, of stuff out there. Uh, if you are interested in the, the cultural phenomenon, you know, whether you want musicologists talking about the Aeolian cadences that's one of the famous things. That was one of the early critics, and Lennon said, I thought an Aeolian cadence was a bird or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't want that. <laughs> no, you, you definitely don't want that. I've read that one. Um, you know, just down to the very common bubblegummy level and, and everywhere in between. And this, this wasn't, uh, this had a little bit of all of that. Well, and it was really fun for me watching each of our kids fall absolutely head over heels for Beatles music. Um, first our daughter, she's older, and then our son, and just the way that it engulfed them. They could, they had whole albums memorized. They could tell you all of the songs in the right order. Um, they had their favorites. They were very passionate. So um, they, the Beatles will always be 
a band that I associate very much with our kids. And in fact, our son was such a fan, you took him to see Ringo. Yeah, yeah. He and I went to see Ringo and... At, at the Ryman in Nashville. It was at the Ryman. And at the end of the oh, show... He was so little. Yeah, he was tiny. So you guys left a little bit early. And he, yeah, he had been just such a trooper. And I had said to him, you know, maybe we could sneak out and see Ringo when he leaves. And apparently it really stuck in his head because we get to the last number. I don't even remember what it was Ringo closes with. But he's like, hey, hey, can, can we go? And I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. So we start to walk out, and I see this old man, Usher, and I think, oh, he'll be a kindly spirit. And I said, he wants to see him leave. Any idea? And he said, oh, you're not going to see anything. Uh, okay. So we went out, and we went kind of around the block, and the back of the Ryman butts up on the infamous Tootsie's Orchid Lounge, where Roger Miller wrote Dang Me, and, and Willie Nelson <laughs> probably drank away a life savings, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so we're standing in the alley between the two. I got Tootsie's is on my right, and the Ryman is on the left. And we've gotten out there, and there's us and like three other people in this alley, and I'm thinking, this is going nowhere. And about that time, pop, you know, a, a big SUV pulls up, and about 45 seconds later, the door pops open, and there he is. We go, Ringo! And he just raises his head, looks across the, the little alley, you know, he's 15 feet away from us, throws up his hand, waves at us, ducks in the back of the SUV, and he's gone. <laughs> and our son is just, like, he'll tell anybody who will listen still about how Ringo waved just at him. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, <laughs> the beauty of the, the situation is there weren't other people around <laughs> to draw his attention. It really was just, just us. So Anyway, all this to say that when we see a book like this, Great Writers on Great Beatles Songs, it's something we are very interested in. We very much love the idea of hearing what other people have to say about their favorite songs and why they love them and how this music changed their lives. So that's why we were interested in this book. Yeah, and the book, I can't say I would give it top marks. It struggles from the same thing that I think any kind of an anthology does in that it, it really strips down to the sum of its individual parts. Some of these essays I thought were absolutely glorious. Yeah, some I of mean, them were amazing. Uh, Roseanne Cash did a great one on the song No Reply. Oh, that was beautiful. I, I, loved, I loved Francine Prose mm -hmm. where she wrote about her and her granddaughter, and they talked about there's a place and here comes the sun. An idea that very much appealed to us. Yes. David Duchovny did a really nice one on Dear Prudence, and then I think we both really liked one of the, the last ones in the yes, book. Yes, the one about Let It Be. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, so, it, you know, you're going to get some people who write on the level that you like, whatever that level is, and you're going to get <laughs> some people who, you know, again, you bog down very much in the in the overly musicological side of it. Yeah, because I'm not a terribly, you know, seven years of piano lessons and seven years of band, and I can barely hold a beat. You know, I'm not a terribly musical kind of person, so... When I'm reading pages of, we went from this chord to that chord, and then the magic of this one, I'm, I'm lost. That's just not going to be me. I like the stories. Like, when they yeah. tell a story about how a song connected to them, that's where I am. Well, and so the disappointment, there, there were a handful of these writers who would go through three or four pages and be like, well, but I never liked the Beatles. Oh, no. It was too... Why are you going to write about it then? You know, uh, there have got to be enough great writers who just freaking love the Beatles that, that we could feel... And 
encyclopedia set. Why did we listen to this poser talk about how the Beatles <laughs> really weren't any good anyway? Yeah, you know. I did not. Did not. That offended me. But right this there. one song was pretty good. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. All right. Let's see what you can write, Bozo. Tell yeah. us what you got. Yeah. I mean, where, where's your uh, Sergeant Pepper, Chief? <laughs> anyway, we kind of. When we picked this book up, we were also thinking about another book about the Beatles mm -hmm. that we both just adored, and it's Rob Sheffield's Dreaming the Beatles, The Love Story of One Band and the Whole World. And I told you that I have, we got this from the library, mm -hmm. because while we love Rob Sheffield, all of his books are not equal. No. We love, Love is a Mixtape, I believe was his first book, and Correct. it knocked us both out. But then some of the others were just, you know, harder for us to relate to because of our musical taste. So we got this one from the library. I started reading it first, and I have distinct memories of rolling down the interstate with you late one night. Kids are asleep in the back seat. I've got the dome light on. I'm reading this to you because I cannot wait to hear what you have to say oh, yeah. about his stories. This book was amazing. Well, Rob is such an accessible, fun writer uh, in that it's so personal for him. And, and he's definitely not going to be somebody to be like, oh, the Beatles were just blah, blah, blah. I mean, Rob gets it. Rob, he loves Rob the comes Beatles. from a place where he loves all of this stuff. And he writes about it so personally and so beautifully. I mean, he kind of set it up where he talked about who each of the Beatles were, like scattered throughout the books. He did a chapter on each of them, their personalities. He talked about how the music shows that. And then he's just story, story, stories. It, it was really so much fun to read. Yeah, the, the relational nature was a key in, in Rob's book and making it special. Because let's be honest, that's, that's a part of the story. When you're going to write about a rock and roll band, we've heard Bruce Springsteen say it. You know, the, the story is that one plus one equals three. And that's not really true a whole lot of places in life. But a good rock and roll band, it really is true. And the Beatles were obviously a phenomenal example of that. The, the sum of the individual parts was something, you know, almost unreachably great. And, you know, that, that happens because of those relationships. And it breaks down because those relationships break down and... and Rob just did a good job of getting to the guts of the Beatles uh, in a way that wasn't, you know, d despite the fact that I say he's a, he's a fan, he's not fawning. He's not, no. you know, it's it's very fair uh, to everybody, which mm -hmm. is an important part of it. But but also the kind of book that you connect to on all kinds of different levels. You're going to laugh when you read it. You will also cry. Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't say you would have to be a super fan to enjoy it. And I would say that it's much more consistent in terms of what it delivers yes. than in their lives. I'm not saying don't get in their lives. You might really enjoy it. And there were some that we really enjoyed in yeah, the collection. And, and I'm glad that in their lives exists. I'm glad that people are still writing about the Beatles, that mm -hmm. people still see this band as being significant enough to keep saying, what do you think about them? Yeah, yeah. So, but Rob Sheffield's Dreaming the Beatles gets top marks. Also, I'm going to throw in a plug for any of Mark Lewison's stuff. Um, you know, Mark is the Beatles historian. His Tune In is the first of three volumes that we're promised of <laughs> what may be the definitive Beatles biography if Mark lives long enough to write it all. I mean, that's that's been nearly a decade on, and he's still plugging away on volume two, so... But I remember how much you loved the first oh, one. Oh, it, it's just Mark has done so much research, and if it, Mark has, has dethroned a lot of myths... And he's clarified a lot of unclear moments. And just, if, if you really want the factual account of the Beatles, Mark's the guy to see. 
Rob might be one of the guys to see on kind of the emotional account of the Beatles. And if you are interested in what else we think of the Beatles, <laughs> you can check out the little special bonus episode of Paperback Readers that will show up right after this one on your podcast app where Joe and I and our two kids each chose a song or something about the Beatles and explain why we like it. We did our own little essays. We did. We did. Uh, so if, if you... Uh are inspired to check out what great writers say on great Beatles songs, then you can check out what, uh, <laughs> what we think. maybe passable <laughs> writers think about great Beatles songs. But hope it's enjoyable, and we'll look forward to an episode where we'll have uh, a little more meat on the bone. But, you know, life life happens. Ice storms happen. Rainstorms happen. Uh, yeah, and don't pass up these books. They were worth checking out. Absolutely. So thanks for listening, and until next time, keep reading.